1: For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info
0: at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, let's do some tech gumbo for the day. Sounds good. Start off as we like to do with the news and updates and start off with Intel. They've been releasing patches and a critical weakness patch came out this week to help plug billions of processors out there.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of processors. This is a very important patch. And so the thing that they are trying to prevent here is the the downfall or the Gaither data sampling vulnerability. And so as you said, it's targeting a, a billion different processors. And so it's important for you to go out there and make sure you have your updates and patches on this.
0: That's right. This hacker he can go after high-target-value credentials such as passwords, encryption keys, and that kinds of things by getting into the processor itself, not just what's on your hard drive, but getting in there and reading all the traffic as it comes across the processor, which is huge to be able to do something like that because you're putting in passwords every time you log into a new website or open up any kind of program that requires a password. So. If you've got a Windows PC that has an Intel processor, download the updates, run them, it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, this does come with a performance hit for certain types of workloads, such as scientific and visualization engineering workloads, but this is worth it because security is always more important than performance, on something of this scale.
0: And speaking of Intel and some of their chips, the Intel Xeon E series of chips, which is mostly found in entry-level servers and high-end workstations, Microsoft has said that they're not going to be able to do Windows 11 on these, these processors. Yeah, that's fascinating.
1: It's This is the first time that I've seen Microsoft pull support from a certain type of a chip. You can see sometimes they just won't provide it in the first place, but to issue it and then to remove it that's something that I've not seen before.
0: And for the majority of everyone out there who just has a normal PC, an i5, i7 processor, this does not affect you at all. This is really about the gamer who has a real high-end gaming PC, the engineer with AutoCAD or the the, the 3D graphics designers that need really high-end processors on their, their workstation computers. Well... When Windows 10 goes end of life, and you can't go to Windows 11 with this processor, now you've got to go buy a new computer.
1: Well, the question is, at that point in time, will Windows 12 have launched before 10 goes end of life?
0: Well, they're not going to let you go to 12 if you can't go to 11. I really, really doubt that they're going to allow support on windows 12 when if they're not going to support you on windows 11 it's just that's not what microsoft has done historically so it would be out of character for them to do that moving along google has decided to step up their security updates
1: yeah they're going up to weekly updates they had been on a very traditional bi-weekly schedule but because that they are, are seeing the demand for it. They are now going to a weekly schedule.
0: And that's what's so disappointing that there is that much malware, that much cr- crapware, ransomware, any, any kind of description you want to give it for software that's got malicious intent behind it, that they have to put out weekly updates now is just really disappointing.
1: I mean, that's that's where we are, and there's no reason to think that this will change or that this will stop or slow down anyway, and that it's, if anything, it's, you know, time for other people to also move to a, a faster scale, because you have to think that if Chrome starts to get more secure and starts to get harder, then they're going to start looking at Edge, they're going to start looking at whatever, the Firefox, because... The whole point is going after the easiest target. And if Chrome makes itself not the easiest target
0: anymore, well, someone else is now. When you go back and just look at Chrome in the year 2020, they were releasing a patch every 35 days. Since then, they've gone from averaging every 35 days to every two weeks and now to weekly. That Number one, that should give you some level of comfort as to how much Google is taking security seriously.
1: They're doing security. They're also doing other things. They're also working with managing biometrics for logins. They're managing ads with ads. You see, Google is continuing to place a lot of effort into Chrome. They know they are at 90% market share, but they are not resting on their laurels here. They are intent on staying at that
0: 90% market share. That's right. The password manager inside of Chrome, I've been experimenting with, with this week. You can you can use the, the multi-factor authentication with the biometric scan so that you go to have it auto-populate a, a, a username and password. And the first thing it does is it, it's got a, it, because I use a, a Microsoft Surface, it has facial recognition. So it looks at my face and says, yep, okay, well, you're Haggai and I can authenticate it, and then it starts loading the passwords. And they made it real easy. So if I wanted to import all of my passwords from a different password manager, now I can do that. And I'm a little more, I have not done the full dive with everything yet, but I'm a little more comfortable with it now that there is at least some level of multi-factor authentication inside of Chrome.
1: Yeah, I think that multi-factor authentication is a great step and it's that move towards pass keys. Someone we have been talking about for a long time now that they're looking to do away with the password because there's just so much baggage tied up with them. And there's so many other things that can go wrong. Google said for a while now that they're part of this process. And here we see them delivering on that commitment that it's free and that it is pretty easy to use. And this is, an important step, it's it's unlikely that we'll see passwords totally go away, but as so many people use Chrome, and people get used to that idea, I'm sure you'll start to see other places where you enter a password, look to adopt this, or maybe look to piggyback off of Chrome and use that login as their security.
0: It'd also be interesting to see, you mentioned Edge, which is built on Chromium, are they sharing all of those updates with all the other browsers built on Chromium as well? Or are they, Microsoft, you got to go find your own patches and, and updates for for your Microsoft Edge browser?
1: That would be a fascinating question because I know that Edge is not the only one built on Chromium. And so there's a, there's a couple that float around that are all
0: using that same backend. We will look into that and report back for next week's episode. Moving along. In New York City, a couple was arrested by the Feds because they stole $4.5 billion in cryptocurrency. They were caught with only $3.6 billion of it left.
1: Well, the first question that I have here is that how are they arriving at this $4.5 billion number? Is that in Bitcoin? Because if so, that value is going to fluctuate up and down a whole lot, and— Where this money comes from is that the hacker and his wife hacked into Bitfinex, which was a crypto exchange back in 2016, and they sat there and just siphoned money out of the back of people's accounts. And so were they siphoning U.S. dollars? Were they siphoning cryptocurrency? How exactly was this happening?
0: Well, and it's fascinating because let's say in 2016, Bitcoin was still... $10,000 a coin kind of thing. And they're siphoning one coin per account kind of thing or 10 coins per account. And then all of a sudden in 2020, it blows up to the $60,000 per coin. And so the valuation went way up. Well, then it cut in half to 30,000. Then it went to 17,000. And now it's back around 25 to 30,000. So yeah, that fluctuation value is real interesting. But the fascinating thing is, they used the blockchain, the federal, the feds used the blockchain to track these Bitcoins and to track where these, they had been used.
1: That's the interesting thing here is that I don't know enough about what their actual scheme looked like, but I know that one of the knocks against cryptocurrency and against, against Bitcoin is that it, it can be used by criminals for its anonymity. And that it, you see purchases made with it on the dark web to buy drugs or to do other illicit things because of its difficulty in traceability. And so were these two hackers just not very good? Did they grow so large? Did they grow bold? You know, what was it that allowed them to leave this trace here because otherwise it seems like this should have been pretty like once once you pulled the hack off you should have been able to move the money around unless 3.6 billion dollars is so much that you just show up as an obvious target but i don't know
0: yeah that's why they were trying to launder that money and 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 do it in smaller chunks they they got caught going around new york city buying things and and putting bitcoins and all kinds of different things, trying to spend the money different places. And it kept drawing attention to them and got themselves caught. And now they're facing up to 20 years in jail each.
1: Yeah. I mean, the interesting part here is that if the federal government only sees 3.6 of the $4.5 billion, that's still 900 million out there. If they do 20 years each and come back with that $900 buried in a treasure chest somewhere, I don't know. That's that's not the worst trade ever. I'm not saying I would take it, but if someone were to tell me that they did,
0: you know, that's not the... They're both in their early 30s. If they get a 20-year sentence, they're probably out in seven. So they're 40 years old and got $900 million and squirreled away now if they can remember the password to get into their exchange wallet then they could you know maybe they're going to be okay let's let's see how this this plays out the fcc also has gotten involved in large chunks of money they have fined two robocalling scammers a total of 300 million dollars this is a very large penalty here but those Two robocallers
1: scammers had placed 5 billion robocalls in just a
0: three-month span of 2021. That's right. They were just flooding everybody's phones with auto warranty. And it just, they were 5 billion calls. There's not a place far enough down in hell for them. It just the—but But the $300 million, that seems like a very large number.
1: Yeah, there's no way that these two guys made $300 million in their ro- robocall scams. I would imagine that robocall scams are profitable, but there's no way they each pulled down $150 million. And so if you told me that they each pulled down $1.5 okay, maybe I'd believe that number. I'd still think that's a little high, but... Yeah, the fact that they got nuked over this. I'm guessing that they're just going to declare bankruptcy and I don't know what happens from there, but it's, it's what do you do? Like this this feels like so large that it's ridiculous.
0: Yes, this this 300 million dollar fine definitely sounds like you you used a bazooka to kill a mosquito. I just it, it it's so over the top and Do I do I hope they 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 rot somewhere in a jail for a long time? Unfortunately, they're probably not going to five billion robocalls. But this is the FCC and all they can do is find them and we'll see. We should empower our rulemaking entities.
1: The last story we want to talk about in this segment is the Martian helicopter. That little guy is still going. We talked to. The NASA had a flight back in April 2021 when it first launched, and here it is in August 2023, and it survived 54 flight
0: missions. This is just fascinating. When NASA first launched and they were, when the helicopter was After it did its first mission, its first little sortie, where it only was in the air for for 24 seconds and went a total of five meters off the ground. NASA was beyond excited. And they were really, they were telling everybody, we're hoping to get five total flights out of this guy. You know, and if it crashes and burns on the sixth flight, hey, no problem. All we wanted was five to prove the point. But now they're just just bragging at this point with 54 flights. Oh,
1: and... The 54th flight is important because the 53rd flight was an emergency landing. Something went wrong, it ran an emergency shutdown on itself. And so the fact that, you know, it didn't crash land, but it it wasn't the normal planned landing and it still got back up, it still powered back up, you know, everything still kept spinning. That's really important because it shows that even whenever things go wrong... There's enough fail-safes here to keep it reliable. This could get another 54 flights out of it, and that would just be so incredibly valuable for NASA to keep learning and keep studying what's happening
0: on Mars. Not to throw around the buzzword, but this is artificial intelligence at its best. This helicopter is flying itself. NASA sends a mission, It takes 14 minutes for that that message to get there to the helicopter. This is what we want you to do. And then it goes and it does its own. While it was up there flying on its quick little mission, it did not see what it was expecting to see. So the onboard computer says, wait, this isn't right. Get on the ground now. Finds a good safe space to land so that it can live to, to fly another day.
1: I saw it described as motion sickness. Whenever your eyes and ears aren't lining up inside of people, we know what that feels like. Well, that's what what the robot was feeling. And it, it didn't just fall flat on its face. It was able to land in a sustainable manner. And this is definitely, this is advancements. This is the fact that NASA continues to be the best in the world at this. This is why it takes so long in between missions. And for the impressive things that they're doing, the amount of money that we're spending on NASA isn't that much. But as you're saying, the the machine learning, the technology, the hardware, the software that comes out of missions like this has an impact on the ground, has an impact here in the U.S., and it's going to take a while to make its way into the public life, into the daily life. But these technological innovations will make their way out, and you, you are seeing them being pushed to the absolute limit here.
0: When you consider that this little robot has gone through a couple of the different Mars winters up there, it's been covered with dust and gotten itself clear of the dust. It's gone through all kinds of different environments. And yet it's NASA figures out a way to get this thing to keep on going is just unbelievably impressive to be on another planet. and, And doing this Continuously, continuously, continuously doing it I'm I'm so excited I, I love this little guy
1: And that also doesn't even get into the value of the science That the robot is doing itself That there is still the a belief out there That it's Mars either has harbored life Or still does harbor life And so you see NASA sitting there poking around Looking to gather more evidence Gather more data Trying to determine Can we look at the ice? Can we look at the different formations? Can we look at the rocks? Can we determine, was there flowing water? If so, where did it flow? Why did it stop? Where did it go? All these different questions that would be just completely reality changing if we would ever find evidence of life on
0: Mars. Because, oh, by the way, there's also a whole bunch of those rovers still crawling around on the surface. There's four of them up there actively still moving around the surface of mars
1: yes this is very cool that this is what's the best that we have to offer this is why we still love science why we still do technology why we're excited about these things it is that they're freaking cool and that they are so inspiring the fact that they are reaching these highs continuously
0: We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here
1: on Talk One Seven Three FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays, also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast, available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.